Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays, the first Thursday of 2022. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I am here. Happy New Year, everyone. First, I am going to introduce my phenomenal co-host, Chris Fulon. Say hi to the people. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Um, goodbye, Log for Jay. Hopefully, never come back. <laughs> as soon as we went live, I was like, wait a minute. I have like the 2022 glasses. I have the little crown. I got to go get my stuff out. We usually dressed up for these occasions. Um, so, Chris, are you going to introduce our awesome guest today? Well, I would, I would let the, the guest introduce himself, but um, Ross comes from an amazing community that I'm a part of, and I love being in communities where there are smart people that we can interact with, that we can reach out to when we have problems, and um, figured I'd bring Ross on today to talk about his experience being a CISO, what individuals can look for while they're a CISO, and how to progress their career. Ross, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, nice uh, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I don't know if, this, if it's the first Thursday of 2022 or the uh, 105th Thursday of 2020. Uh, I think that's why you, you forgot the, the crown and all the celebration bits. Um, so yeah, nice to be here. Uh, I've been working security for, you know, quite a long time now, um, you know, moving from IT to security and then leading security teams in large organizations, leading security in smaller ones. So I've worked in startups and enterprise. Um, we'll start a new role in a small startup in a few weeks in the security industry. So looking forward to announcing that as well. And uh, previously I was a CISO at uh, Finaptic, uh, which is a uh, FinTech here in Canada, building a banking as a service uh, offering. So that was a really interesting place where to work, you know, greenfield environment. Uh, and, you know, they did get acquired. So after the exit, I'm looking for, for my next uh, thing. Nice. Congratulations Excellent. on that. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. So um, everyone, before we even, before we jump in more with Ross, we want to find out where you are, where you're um, chiming in from, and let us know how your new year was, how your holidays were. You know how we are. We like to get all in the business and figure out what's going on with our peeps. <laughs> so chime in and let us know. Uh, we do have some folks here. Hey, Chris, InfoSec Live is saying hi to us. Zoe is here. Hey, Zoe, happy new year. She says happy new year to everybody. Um, and then, hey, Chris, Renee, and Guillaume. So I don't know who that is, but... LinkedIn hey, hey. user. LinkedIn user, yeah. LinkedIn <laughs> Thank user. you, LinkedIn user. Um, what, what else was I going to say? Oh, so today is a snow day in Northern Virginia. So if you hear little kiddos, you know, floating around and showing up, that's where we are. <laughs> we're, we're back to 2020. <laughs> we're back to 2020 when every day was a snow day. Um, okay, cool. So... Ross, can you share with us like kind of what Chris started out by saying um, you've been in the industry a long time, you've grown into the role that you were in. What made you even think about getting into security? I'm always curious about how people got into security in the first place. Yeah, so um, 
I've always been kind of a kind of a nerd, kind of a geek, really interested in computers from you know really really early on. Uh, my dad was a mainframe uh, developer, and you know it's just like a a family thing. And when I was probably around like 12, 13 years old, the internet was starting to become more common. You could get it at home. And I started getting interested in like how things are interconnected and how they work. Um, but even when I started getting first jobs in IT, I didn't really understand that security was uh, like a specialty you could work in. I still had the, uh, I, 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 t I took the assumption that, for example, if you worked in IT in a bank or you were a developer in a bank, you had to be awesome at security, right? Because that's that's a bank and then i got my first job in a huge bank doing uh help desk uh for rbc uh, actually and that was when i met the real world right where <laughs> i realized that oh okay so it's harder than uh, you would think and a lot of the complexity is not necessarily even technical right like a lot of stuff is just doing things the right way but when you've got a hundred thousand employees it's way more complicated than it looks and so i've worked in it for a few years after that but i was always the uh you know, the person that cared the most about security and all the big IT projects. So uh, for a while, was doing very large uh, Active Directory deployments and migrations and, of course, AD and authentication and, you know, systems management. It all goes in really deep with uh, security. So through these projects, I eventually became a security person in a way, but it wasn't like I ever set out to do it. I didn't even really know it was a thing when I started working. I just knew I liked working in IT and I liked when things were done and built well, you know, well-engineered systems, well-deployed, high performance. And I just saw security as um, a facet of quality, right? Like if it's a good system, it's going to be performant. It's going to be available. It's not going, going to breach confidentiality, all these things. So I just saw it as a facet of that and uh, over time kind of specialized, even though I would say I'm still uh, kind of a, a generalist in a way where I think in, in security, you can get super specialized in, in different areas. Um, but sometimes it's also good to maybe specialize in some areas and keep kind of a good overall uh, knowledge of different things. Like, for example, AppSec is definitely not my strength. I'm stronger on like cloud security, endpoint security, um, but you still need to know a little bit of, of everything. And that's what makes uh, security so interesting. There's so much to learn all the time. I have a question. So often those coming into the field are asking, should I specialize or should I generalize? As a CISO looking to build your team, how do you do it? How do you look for the specialist? Do you look for the generalist? What do you, how do you look for team members? Um, it depends on the role, right? There's a lot of different things you can do in security, but I will say um, in many cases, I love hiring people who were um, developers or who worked in IT before, uh, depending on the roles, right? So for example, if you want to work in application security, it really, really helps if you're an actual developer who then learned security or learned both because you're going to be able to work with developers and help them make secure code or write libraries for them that they can then use. Um, so I, I really like, you know, that path of working in IT or being a developer and then eventually learning more and more about security and, and starting in these roles. Um, Obviously, there's there's specific fields where uh, specialization is very important, and you you could you know learn more about these topics for for decades. So, for example, if you're doing uh, incident response or forensics, 
Um, it's very hard to be good at these things if you don't do them often. It's the same for like offensive security in general, right? Um, it's it's not very easy to be an awesome uh, penetration tester if you only do it twice a year, right? Like if you're in a, a generic security team and you have to do it, you know, once a year for whatever reason, then you're not going to become um, efficient at it. But I would say before you start specializing, like try different things, see what you like, and don't be afraid to, you know, learn a whole bunch of different things because it will come in uh, useful at some point. Like, for example, um, if you have good uh, scripting skills, right? Like that's used, very useful in a lot of different cases. And then if you're a developer, there's plenty of security teams that actually need developers, we can teach them security, but we need people to write tools for us. We need people to orchestrate different systems and all the different APIs, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for people who work in a slightly different field to get in security with their existing skills and then start learning the rest, right? Like I always say, it's like um, uh, it, it's like that, uh, what's the name of the movie with uh, Ben Affleck and, and they have to go blow up an asteroid? You know which one Is I'm that talking free about. Free Guy, uh, the new movie Free Guy. No, 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 super uh, old one. Oh, oh man, I'm I'm not gonna sleep if I if I don't oh, no. uh, if I don't find out right. But they they train these drillers to be astronauts instead oh. of training the astronauts to learn how to drill, right? But it can work both ways in security. There's, it's not it, you. You just need the commitment and the time, uh, and to be able to do it day to day, right? Like there's a lot of the stuff you just can't learn then not practice for a year and get back to. Right. No, I'm glad. No, I'm Go I'm so thank you. I'm so glad you answered that. I mean, that was a question I had too, because we hear that all the time so often when people have that question. Um Ross, since you described folks that or you, you share that people should try out different things. So you think that companies should um, do more rotation programs when it comes to security so that people could learn, like maybe if they come in with a certain degree or a certain inclination from one or two areas, rotating yeah. them through and having maybe six months as a developer, another six months, as, you know, like so they could get some experience in, uh, in different um, areas of maybe IT or security or whatever to make them a better, well-rounded analyst in two years or so. Um yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, I because I know probably a lot of people are just screaming at the podcast that the movie is Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Sterling. I, I actually figured it out like five seconds ago. So let's clear that. I was talking about Armageddon. Um, so I think rotation is an important thing, especially for roles that are uh, very operational, right? You can't have someone sitting in a sock looking at alerts for like four years. Um, you're not that's that's not great for anyone it can get uh, it can get boring uh, i think it's it's very interesting to um work on different projects i don't know if like a 6 month rotation necessarily makes sense i think it, it might be more you know being uh involved all the time with with different things but you know don't make someone an analyst for years and years and not involve them in in different projects if you want them to uh to grow but i think it's also on the hiring side being more um open to diverse uh, skill sets coming in, right? I am very confident that I can hire someone who is very good at IT, for example, and, and have them learn more about cloud security and be quite effective in a, in a few months. If 
you know, if someone is really good at DevOps and they don't have so much knowledge on security, you, you can train them and make them uh, very, very good uh, security professionals pretty quickly. I think much easier than you could take someone who's worked in security for a long time, like myself, for example, and then try to train them with uh, Kubernetes, for example. Um, so I think it's sometimes I find it weird as you see a lot of companies complaining about how hard it is to hire, but at the same time, people seem to have a hard time to get the first security jobs to get that experience. Um, and yet I've had success with, uh, interns who were just coming out of like a CS degree, for example, they're just interested in security. They did computer science. They love computers in, in, in general, and they just need a little bit of experience. Um, so I, I think it's getting people involved with different projects, uh, not shielding shielding them from information, right? Like you need to share. You don't want like the uh, level three team to n never uh, train um, the analysts or share information about specific incidents or train them on specific tools that, uh, that they can use. Uh, but mostly it's the hiring part. Like it just boggles my mind to see companies complaining about how hard it is to hire and then they never try anything different. Um, you and so, me both. <laughs> I think I it's so ridiculous. Go ahead. I had a question since you mentioned um, hiring interns and kind of creating that growth path. Uh, what have you done to create a pipeline both external from the organization as well as internal to the organization to hire from within and to grow from within? Yeah, so I think the, the most successful program I've been part of for this was uh, I used to work at uh, Nuance. Uh, Nuance Communications, they make all the uh, voice recognition uh, stuff. So it's, it's not really a consumer-facing uh, brand. Maybe people know uh, Dragon uh, Dictation. and uh, But, you know, the cars, the TVs that do voice recognition, that's all. Uh, most of it is Nuance. Uh, also, these IVRs you call and then you have to talk to. But, you know, sorry about that. Uh, and we had a really good intern program, internship program there uh, in the Montreal office. Montreal office was, I don't know, five 600 people back then. And... Every quarter, we would take on close to 100 interns from all the local uh, universities. Um, and so we worked with the uh, HR team that was organizing that, which they were awesome, by the way, the, the HR people at uh, Nuance in Montreal, especially for the internship program. So we were in touch with all the different universities. Everyone knew we had that program. Um, and we would essentially all the managers would fight for uh, intern budget because it was so successful you knew if you could get a few interns, there's at least a few people you'd, you'd get to uh, hold on to because they were awesome and, and they'd love to have a job, right? So it was kind of a, um, kind of a fight to get these, uh, these interns. And 100 people to onboard every quarter, that's a lot of work, right? Like the IT teams were super busy, you know, getting laptops and uh, finding room work to, to put them. Uh, and that was actually one of the coolest things I've uh, been part of while I was at, uh, at Nuance. And that's something that... In a large organization, I think it's super important because um, you need that like a huge pipeline on a lot of people um, coming in. And then what I would try to do is out of the hundred, of course, they're not all going to the security team. Um, that'd be a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I wouldn't say no to like 10 of them, but a uh, hundred, I don't think I'd be able to handle that. Um, we would talk to them and, and try to see what their interests were. And some of them didn't even think of working in, in security before necessarily. Uh, they just wanted to work for a tech company. They've just done computer science. And when we start talking about it, they're like, oh, 
I can actually write code in the security team, right? Like a lot of people would think the security team is just like governance or whatever. And then we'd uh, we'd pick a few, and it's been successful. There's there's been some of them that uh, Nuance was acquired by Microsoft. Some of them probably still work for Microsoft right now. So that's yeah, so cool. The universities, I think, is is a key. And then if you're lucky enough to work with a company that has a uh, open source tools or that has like an open core kind of uh, model. Um, I've seen success uh, through the community there, right? Like you see people that contribute on your projects, you, you essentially already know um, that they're competent. And uh, it's surprising um, how you can find people through that sometimes, but you really need to have like a big presence uh, with open source tools. Uh, so that's not necessarily easy for anyone. Interesting approach. Yes. I love that approach. I mean, it's what I've seen in many organizations that I've worked in, especially the larger ones where you bring in, I know the, the, the big four places like, you know, where Chris is, they bring in thousands um, of interns, you know, because the pipeline is, you know, you, you want to, if you want to hire, there's a formula, you want to hire a hundred, you bring in 400, whatever the number is, you know, and then at the end of the internship, you give out offers to X amount and then X amount accept. And so it's just so standard and it boggles my mind too sometimes, Ross, Chris knows this, <laughs> that more companies don't do it. It just doesn't make any sense to me that they don't. Um, anyway, some comments here and some questions. I definitely wanna make sure that our audience is getting um, their questions and comments answered. Or shout it out, Scott Jaster says, good afternoon, everyone. Looking forward to some snow tomorrow in New York. Well, we are getting snow again tomorrow in the DC area. That's what they're saying, snow tonight. Um, Steve Upshaw is tuning in from sunny San Diego. Steve also made a comment down here and asked, uh, well, two things. He said, you can now sleep tonight after everyone shouted out Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> and then Steve wants to know, do you recommend full stack coding boot camps? I'm interested in completing a Sabio boot camp later this year. Um, I can't really comment on the quality of boot camps because like I haven't been through them. Um, I don't know. Uh, what I would say is I highly recommend being uh, having the skills that the boot camp is supposed to, uh, to teach you. So, for example, I don't even know what the Sabio boot camp is, but if it's a good one and it gets you writing code, then that's going to be um, good skills for you. In the past, like I've seen some boot camps where I found that they seem really expensive. Uh, so sometimes I'd be careful with that. Um, there's a lot of resources online as well if you want to learn uh, all of that stuff, depending on... If you learn best, uh, you know, on your own or like in a classroom setting. So pick whatever is best for you. But if you're able to write code and deploy it and you understand how the cloud works uh, and then you have some security knowledge on top of that, that that's going to be useful for someone somewhere for sure. Might just be hard to get that first one because everyone requires some kind of uh, prior experience. Uh, maybe working on some open source projects once you, you've got uh, some of these skills will help you, you know, build kind of a resume even without working in the uh, in the industry. Um, and then you should be good to go. But as far as boot camps go, I don't like. I'm sure some of them are great and some of them are terrible. That that's why like I, I don't want to comment on any specific one unless I'd been through that. Like personally, I went through. So I'm in the Montreal area, and so. Uh, education in, in Canada is very different than the U.S., right? But in Quebec is 
even more different where we go to high school and then we have like a it's called CJEP. It's kind of a college thing where you can do like more technical training or more like university prep. Um, and that's two years and then you go to university or three years for like technical uh, training. What I did was I went to a kind of like a private CJEP to do the three-year technical thing in one year. So I did that before. Like I, I later went to uh, university like night classes doing business stuff. But I felt like I... It was super expensive to do the private one. However, it only took one year, right? So I could get to work uh, very fast after that. But I would say the quality of it was not great. You know, it, it was okay for people who are like um, very easily able to learn on their own with a book. But the quality of the training was definitely lower than at our uh, public institutions. Uh, so for me, the trade-off was, okay, in one year I can work in IT if I do this. And then I'll owe 15, 20 grand for... Not great service, but then I saved two years, so it made sense. So just see what makes the most sense in your uh, situation. Yeah. Always interesting to hear about the different education systems around the world. Yeah, yeah and uh, it's also very different in terms of like uh, student debt. You know, I've had like uh, 15,000 of student debt. And for us here, that's actually a you know, sizable amount of money, whereas like U.S. universities, is very, uh, it's very different. Um, mm -hmm. I see a question how you can contact with me. You can uh, find me on uh, LinkedIn or uh, do we have the ability to put like an email address on the, on a chat of a video stream? Sure. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll just type it and we'll show it in the, in this, in the feed. Okay. Perfect. And that was uh Subir asking how he can get in touch with um, Ross. So more comments here. Let me see. There is um, someone here who is actively seeking employment with, who has an MS in information technology in Macon, Georgia. Um, stay tuned. We are going to, I personally am working on a number of, um, of positions and I'm going to be sharing some of that info because I just got word that some of them are going to be a lot of entry level um, you know, stock analyst roles and things like that. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then a lot of software engineers, so any comp side people um, who are out there looking um, to get into anything, <laughs> looking to, to just get into an opportunity. Um, some will be remote. The others will be in the Scottsdale, Arizona area. So they'll be remote, but you got to be local to Scottsdale. Um, and that's all the tidbits I have in regards to that for today until I get the official word and I can put it out there. Um, okay, so a couple other comments down here. Uh, Will S doesn't want to sweep. First of all, Will S, um, get well soon, please. Um, he says, hey, guys, hope everyone's great and had a good New Year's. So we hope you did, too, and we hope you get well soon. Um, Sabir says good morning. He's also the person who made that comment. Scott Jaster again talked about Armageddon. Sterling Richard says, woohoo, cheers to CISO Thursdays. <laughs> Excellent advice so far. Thank you so much, Sterling. We love being here. And I, was, I wasn't here for a couple of weeks um, as the holidays began. Um, it seems to not end uh, with all my kids in madness. So I'm excited to be back. Uh, let's see. Scott wants to know, is caffeine a project that's still running? 
Oh yeah, so Caffeine Security is my uh, it's my company because uh, I used to do a lot of uh, consulting uh, before uh, Fanatic. I still use it. Uh, I make training for Pluralsight uh, through uh, Caffeine Security. So if any of you are Pluralsight users, you can just search for my name there um, and and find some of my stuff. I'm actually working on a new one, uh, probably coming out in the next month or two on uh, Active Directory uh, threat hunting. So, you know, trying to uh, sharpen my own Active Directory skills from decades ago by teaching people how to do it. It's amazing the amount of stuff you learn by trying to tell other people how to do something. That's when you realize you don't really know it anymore. So, yeah, caffeine still exists, though the website eh, probably outdated. I should probably take care of that. <laughs> uh, that's there's funny. A, there's a, a comment from Hala. She is asking what... What search and in what order do you think is beneficial for someone breaking into the industry? And I want to take a first stab at this. And I think um, Billian mentioned this earlier is figure out where you want to go first, because there's so many certs within cybersecurity that if you don't figure out where you want to go, you could get a cert in a totally different area, realize that you hate it. And now while that cert is a good bragging right, it might not be the right cert to advance you in a certain career yeah um that's a that's a really good question and it's one that like um i have a hard time answering for other people because uh no one has like the same level of experience and or privilege and or contacts um and i could say certs don't mean anything, right? And for a lot of people, I know that's not true. So personally, I have a CISSP every year, I get the bill and I think, am I really getting like my money's worth for this? And then I put it off and then on the last day I renew it. Um, I figure at this point, you know, I should probably just write, used to have a CISSP in my resume. So it goes through any filter that looks for CISSP in the resume. Uh, but if you're getting started, then it's very different. Um, and I would say that there's some vendor-specific certifications that are not necessarily uh, like security organizations that can be very useful as well. So, for example, um, if you want to do cloud security, uh, I would look at like the Google GCP training or AWS training uh, before I would look at like a generic cloud security um, certification like uh, CCSK, for example, because the CCSK is, you know, a higher level thing. Whereas if you learn the GCP stuff and you apply to a job where at a company where they use GCP, I think that's, uh, that's more hands-on. And uh, when you're starting, that's probably a better idea. Um, and then I think the, uh, like there's offensive security training that, uh, is good. Um, for example, the OSCP has like a pretty good reputation if you want to get like hands-on penetration testing roles. Even though I'm not a fan of uh, everything they've done with the uh, actual testing and having a camera running for like 24 hours in your room and, and all of that, that I find uh, a little bit creepy. And I would say stay away from like CEH and every cert that is coming from that company because it is very ironic that they use the word ethical so much. Here's a question for you that I think a lot of individuals that are going down the, the penetration testing route 
Do you really think that the CEH is an entry level certification for someone going down that route? The thing with CEH is like, I don't even want to consider the content because of many reasons. I don't think it's a company that we should be, uh, we should, we should be promoting, uh, because of everything they've done in the past from stealing content to a whole bunch of different stuff, allegedly. Um, that being said, I think a lot of penetration testing training, uh, and certifications are maybe a little bit stuck in the past where it's very like network penetration testing focused, um, where things are going more to like, it's the applications and it's the web and it's the containers that are, uh, super, uh, super important. Uh, cause I, I think like the, you know, traditional network pen test in an enterprise with data centers and all that is slowly going away. Right. So I don't think I would want to learn that much about that. If I was just, uh, getting started right now, I think the trainings that are more about, uh, application security specifically are probably more, uh, more useful. So do you think that the OSCP is a entry level cert or I, I, OSCP sounds like. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like it's also quite network focused and it's difficult. Um, what I like about it though, is you get a lab, right? So I think just like trying it out and doing the training, it's, it's kind of a hands-on. Um, also it is expensive yet it is cheap, right? So it costs a lot of money, but when you compare it to SANS or something like that, it's actually very cheap. Uh, so if you're paying out of pocket, that might be a way for you to get access to a lab environment. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to complete it. Uh, because yeah, I think it, it is, uh, it is quite, uh, it is quite difficult. Um, but in terms of uh, penetration uh, testing, it's like things like bug bounties and, and all that can also be uh, useful to build a, a resume there, you know, instead of uh, certifications. If you've, if you've found some bugs and you've blogged about that and you've got some kind of portfolio on one of the big, uh, uh, you know, bug crowd or hacker one, I think that also shows skill without having to go through um, certifications. And maybe you'll make a few bucks out of it instead of, you know, spending money, which is nice. <laughs> Nice, nice. I, I love the idea of the blog. Same, same here. So I just wanted to put put it out there. Chris, uh, um, Ross's email is posted up on our um, channel right now. So for YouTube and LinkedIn and wherever we owe for our for our audio listeners, um, it is. His first name, Yom, at binaryfactory.ca. So if you're listening only, you might just have to jump on Google him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I should go by my last name on the email as well. <laughs> so, Guillaume is G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E. It's the French equivalent to uh, William. But if anyone calls me Bill, I never speak to them again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So Zoe says for the person that's in Macon, who's looking for the position, if you join APD's work market and you know how to wire stuff, there's different contract jobs you can do on there while you're looking for a position. So hmm. always finding out about something yeah. new. Thanks, Zoe. And then Scott wants to know, curious if Finaptic was bought out, if there, if there was a role for you to stay on or if that buyout was your goal with the company. Uh, I can't comment on that directly. However, what I can say is I prefer working for uh, smaller organizations and not large banks. 
Well, there's your answer. Makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I, that's one of the things that um, individuals should consider, right? Which sort of organization they, they work better in? Do they work better in a small organization? Do they work better in a larger organization? Do they prefer to be an individual contributor? Do they prefer yeah. to work as part of a team? Like this is all part of the, the self-discovery that you should be doing hopefully earlier in your career so you could figure out how you work best and how you can maximize results. And I think that's yeah, exactly. a decision everyone needs to make. And, and so it's not just the, necessarily the size uh, of the organization, because there are some large organizations that are um, actually quite uh, agile and where you can get things done uh, pretty quick. But there's different types of companies where um, you see that it takes a long time to have any kind of um, like tangible impact on a security program just because that's that's the business model and that's how things work, right? Um, and I think like for me, for example, now I can tolerate it fine. Like I can I can work in a large organization and it's gonna take months to get things done. The trick is you have to focus on the things you're improving and not on like the big picture all the time because you're you're always gonna be feeling like everything is on fire, right? Um, so you you focus on the things that you improve instead of um, you know the the everything is is garbage kind of uh, mindset which. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I definitely was not able to do that as well. You know, you're always thinking about the 20,000 problems with security there is in your super large organization. And that's not that's not great, right? So you, you if you're going to work in a large organization, you really need to focus on, you know, specific things, what you can improve and look at progress like year over year. Sometimes you, you feel like you're stuck and nothing is moving forward. But at the end of the year, you look back and you're like, oh, well, actually, we did like these three, four major things this year, and it made a pretty, uh, pretty big different difference. It's just, you know, day to day, it feels like nothing is uh, is happening. Um, that being said, uh, I, I much prefer working in environments that are, are like all in the cloud and all remote and no data centers for technical reasons. Mostly, I feel like uh, it is so much easier to do a really good job at security when everything has APIs, right? Like you can ensure things are as they should be. Whereas when you work with uh, a company that's like 100 years old, and it's got 32 data centers has every brand of firewall ever been made, uh, sometimes stack on top of each other. There's not gonna be an API telling you what's happening with your firewall rules, you're not going to be able to automate uh, the things you don't want to be spending time on, like, uh, policy, compliance, that kind of stuff, right? Because it's just not really uh, built that way and you need so many uh, different tools. So that's that's why for me, it's not necessarily about the size of the company. It's more about the type of the company. I would be fine working in a huge company that's uh, um, pretty modern and, and and doesn't have a, a lot of, uh, of legacy. Um, but yeah, you, you got to figure that out. Try different things because I've had jobs in large companies that were amazing you wouldn't and, and they're not even like i'm not going to name names but there are companies where you think like it would suck to work there uh and now i feel like everyone's gonna go on my linkedin and try to take a guess but sometimes you get a good manager you get a cool team you work on cool projects and it is it ends up being awesome even though you wouldn't think that in general uh it is right so for example like consumer banking is not my preference However, I did some contracts for investment banking, and I love that because investment banking um, is a lot closer to working in a tech company, right? They need a lot of uh, computing power. You're not, you don't have to deal with like ATM networks and, and that kind of stuff. So even though both are a bank, 
working for consumer bank versus investment banking is going to be very, very different. So try try a few. Uh, and most of all, I would say don't don't be afraid to make a move uh, if it doesn't work out for you. I think we, we're lucky that we work in a field where um, once you have a little bit of experience, it's going to be easy for you to move between jobs. And I don't think people in general see it negatively if you've switched jobs every two years a few times in a row because you're looking for something specific or because you get a better job or a better deal out of it every two years. I, I don't think I, do, do you think people are feel negatively towards that or that's a great <laughs> great comment because I posted about it maybe a month ago when um, the guy from the Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful. He made a comment um, and said something to the effect of if a person hasn't worked, if he, he, he if he sees constant turnover on a resume, it's immediately trashed. Um, I personally don't believe that. I think I, I, it, it was a hot topic on LinkedIn that day because um, I think this is ridiculous to think that people, especially at this state it, it, in 2020, to, at the time 2021, but in 2022, that you're going to just have these long tenures um, yeah. at places. It, first of all, you most of the time, like, I don't know what kind of growth. In some situations, you do get the growth. But especially uh, to your point, Ross, when you were saying that, you know, people are, A, moving to do, do different things so they could grow in their skill set. Because that's what a lot of people, um, especially when you're getting to a different, um, you're growing in your career. Yeah. And you want to get different experiences. You want to try out different industries, all those different types of things that, you know, what do you, how are you going to make that happen? You're going to sit in one company for five years and then go somewhere else when it looks like it's not going to work. Yeah. Plus um, with the salaries and the market changing so fast, uh, a lot of companies are not able to adjust uh, to that. And it's sad, but sometimes if you end up staying at the same place for seven years, uh, it, it's like car insurance, right? Like you got to shop pretty often <laughs> or otherwise you're getting a bad deal. Exactly. Exactly. I think people should always be not, I, I won't say always, but I don't look at that at all. As yeah, a, When I'm hiring, I also, um, I don't uh, at all. Um, is you said Mr. Wonderful? Is that uh, Kevin O'Leary? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I get it. I can never remember his his real name. I just always remember Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, oh, yeah. e -E -E. I mean, he's a he's a personality, so yes. But also, his goal was to become a politician and, and become prime minister of Canada, right? Like, and he's got zero experience really? there, so it's like, That's oh, so seems funny. like you want to jump from one thing to another, right? Right, with no experience and not two, you know, two years, I guess, here and there. Um, so a couple more comments here that are, that are good. Brent. Hey, Brent. Happy new year. He says, I used to steer people to peerless for cyber resources. What are some of the good free resources for tools and learning environments? Um, yeah. So peerless doesn't exist anymore. Uh, honestly, I wasn't, it doesn't? I don't think so. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it because you needed to sign up and it felt like a lot of stuff should have been more open, but it was nice. There was like one place, um, I would say there's a lot of stuff on GitHub in different repos. Um, I, I, I could make, I don't know if you have show notes, maybe I can make a list and, and put a few uh, there. Uh, but there's all these repos like uh, awesome blue team tools or awesome red team tools or 
you just kind of need to find the right ones and people make these uh, these great lists uh, for example i have one if you look at my uh my github uh, I'll, I'll find the link so we can uh, paste it and put it in the show notes with a bunch of Active Directory um, security resources. Um, when it comes to tools and learning environments, obviously I'm biased, but I like resources like Pluralsight, uh, for example, because uh, you can you know learn at your own pace and it doesn't cost uh, thousands of, uh, of dollars. Uh, but in terms of tools, it's really the open source stuff. So the way I learn about them usually is just through... Uh, Twitter or LinkedIn, right? Like someone's going to post it, I open it. I'm really bad at like saving bookmarks. And then I don't, like, for example, this this week I was looking for a specific tool. I couldn't remember where I saw it. Ended up asking a bunch of people. Don't you remember like six months ago we talked about a thing and then, oh yeah, I think it was, it started with a with a why and then we found it. So I'm, I'm not the best person for uh, archiving this, but there's awesome stuff on GitHub, that's for sure. Wow, Payless is really gone. So GitHub is the place. Cool, cool, cool. Um, more comments. So Paul Cummings. Hey, Paul Cummings. So Paul Cummings has the Cyberhuman, what is it called, Chris? Cyberhuman? Cyberhuman Initiative. Whole Cyberhuman Initiative. And Paul has merch now. So I can't wait for us to, to support um, get our merch, wear it on here. We have to have Paul come on. So we all have on our hoodies, our t-shirts or whatever. Um, and it supports the initiative. So folks definitely connect with Paul, link up with him and buy some merch. Um, so Paul had a couple comments. Very, very true. And there are so many critical infrastructure companies in need of classic on-prem experience. Um, Ross, when you were talking about the experience, and Paul says, with cyber as a continuous learning path, why would you stay in a role if you truly are eager? If you have a good personal growth model, it should reflect in your brand. I agree. Yeah. So uh, if you work in some companies, it's that's totally possible to do within the same company. But that's not always right. true, right? Like there's not so many companies with uh, a large security team with a lot of different roles. And uh, Oh, my thoughts on gating roles with required certs from Paul. So I uh, guess from my uh, comment uh, where I said that I would write like CI used to have a CISSP to pass uh, automated scans, uh, you know, maybe write CISSP in white on white on your resume. <laughs> I think you understand that I am really not a fan of gating roles with required certifications, especially considering like certifications cost money. Uh, some of them quite a bit, right? Uh, and when you work in this industry, you might think like, Oh yeah, it's not that much money, but when you're trying to get in, it might look like much more money. And like, I'm in in, in Canada, right? Like, cost of living is pretty high, uh, so some of these things don't look like they're so expensive. But for people elsewhere in the world, it's a huge amount of money. That's why you know I was really annoyed with the ISC in, increasing prices. Like, I, it's not gonna change my life to pay a little bit more. But I think there's people all over the world who want these certifications, need them for some specific roles. And I don't think um, I don't think you should do that unless there's like a legal requirement for you to do it. I know in like government and, and so on, that's uh, how things work. Um, to me, it reminds me like early on in my career, like I said, I did like that technical training, right? There were some roles in, in some uh, organizations that I couldn't apply to because I didn't have a university degree. But I've, I could have applied to with any university degree, right? Like the gating was just, you need a university degree. And I was like, well, I've got the experience. I've got a technical degree specifically for the thing I'm going to do. And you're telling me if I did any kind of degree, then I could apply. But now I can't, right? So I'm, I'm 
definitely not a fan of that. What are some of the things that you've done with your former employers um, to remove that as part of the requirement? Uh, working real close with the HR teams to, if you work in a large company, most of the time your your recruiters, for example, they're not recruiting security people all the time. There are some companies that have security teams large enough where that is the case, right? Like you have a cybersecurity recruiter, uh, like banks are a good example, right? Like a lot of banks will have a security team of like, I don't know, like a thousand people, right? Like I don't know how many security people JP Morgan has. It's probably like 2,500 by now. Um, so then you have recruiters that know the culture uh, of the space uh, really well. Uh, but when they have to be generalists and hire all different kinds of, uh, of uh, engineers and salespeople and marketing people and security people, you can't expect them to know the culture uh, of of every different uh, role that they hire for. Uh, so always essentially work with them, explain to them how like in cybersecurity, I think there's a lot of... Um, there's open sharing. There's a lot of like open source tools. There's conferences. There's uh, people, you know, publishing uh, information on blogs. Like all of this stuff can be very useful without uh, certifications. And then I would just remove it. Uh, but in general, I'm a big fan of removing a lot of um, like hard requirements from uh, job uh, postings because you see these laundry lists, right? Like, oh, you need to have. Uh, Without even getting into the joke ones that are like, oh, you need 20 years of experience with the Go language, which isn't 20 years old or whatever, uh, you still get these these crazy job offers where I think what that creates is the only people that are going to apply are people that are, they don't fill all the requirements, but they, they know that they don't have to, right? Whereas you might have people that have like a slightly different take on this, they have less experience, they didn't go through that, and they see the list and... It's kind of deflating or like, wow, they, they want me to be an expert on these 35 things. I'm not going to apply. There's no way I'm going to get the job. And in the meantime, on the other side, like no one applies and no one gets uh, gets hired. So gating in general, I'm not a big, uh, big fan of. And I would even in, in some cases rework uh, the role based on who applies, right? Like what if I'm looking for like a senior application security developer uh, to lead uh, an AppSec AppSec team, and I end up finding someone who is awesome, but is not senior. Oh, well, can we make that work, right? Uh, maybe we rework it. We don't give them like a, a team lead role right now. We just like bring them on as a, a more junior uh, employee and then train them. And then in a year, you'll you'll see what happens, right? Because it's not worth looking for the unicorn for six months uh, when you have someone that could become uh, that unicorn in a, in a year, right? Um, so yeah, so long, long uh, story to say, nah, gating, not a big fan of, and gating of security certifications, uh, even less so. Yes, yes, and yes. I don't even have anything to add. I agree. Uh, WholeCyberHumanInitiative.org forward slash forward slash shop. That is where you get your merch for the Whole Cyber Human Initiative. Um, Clarence wants to know, what are your thoughts on landing a role without certs as a recent IT grad? Um, yeah, so as I was saying before, I think it is harder than it should be. Um, I have uh, hired people uh, with these types of, uh, of resumes and experience in education before. 
I think more people out to do it. Um, that being said, I would say if you're having a hard time getting a security role, you could totally take an IT role uh, somewhere because most IT roles will teach you uh, experience that is very valuable for security, right? So, for example, I said my my first job, like in a big company, was help desk uh, at RBC, um, huge bank here in Canada, right? Uh, then I learned a lot about IT, working in a big company, uh, access management, right? Because uh, help desk in a bank in like 2000, that was a lot of you know, not a whole lot of single sign on and, and SAML, so that's a lot of passwords to reset. Uh, and, and then I moved on to to security through uh, through projects. Um, so if you think it's like an interesting company that has a nice um, culture, then you can get in with an IT role. For example, in, in, in big companies where I've worked in the past, it's happened pretty often that like some IT person just seemed to be very um, focused on delivering like quality and, and secure projects. And then they start working with the security team like hand in hand. And if these people have eventually wanted to apply for a security role, they, they'd get hired internally pretty quick, right? Because let's say you're, um, you work with, uh, with, with like cloud or databases or Active Directory uh, uh, as I did, and you're always helping out the security team, then uh, you can apply internally. So. Essentially, I think it should be easier. I think companies should be more uh, open to that. Uh, I understand that it apparently is um, quite hard uh, for, for many people. But if that means you need to start in IT before moving on to security, I think that's a very uh, very good path. Just don't wait like 10 years before you start you know, doing security, right? So as soon as you get your IT job, start focusing on the security aspects of that role. Learn as much about uh, how you can have an impact. Um, and, and then, you know, find a, find a way to move on, like in, either internally or externally, right? Like then you'll have a year or two of experience is going to be much easier. Such good points. I, I did it. Go ahead. I did please. it myself. I did it myself. I started in help desk in a bank um, and moved my way up. Uh, so definitely uh, similar path as mine. What I would say... Um, Paul shared a, a good link for those looking to learn IT support um, on YouTube, KevTech IT Support. And what he does is he teaches individuals how to do those um, basic IT support skills. So you can learn a lot from YouTube, a lot from Googling, a lot from GitHub uh, to, to get those entry level roles. And then in terms of like entry level security roles, well, usually they're going to be like analyst roles, uh, for example. Um, and so if you see some of these, uh, these are those that uh, would usually be more willing to hire someone with uh, less uh, experience. And uh, Brent says he robs internal IT teams for cyber positions. Yeah, uh, that's that's the way to go. Um, that's how it goes. Exactly. And yeah, you know, <laughs> I can make friends with their managers, but... Uh, it's a really good sign, right? Because that means the IT team is hiring people that have an interest and, and keep uh, keep learning. So yeah, it's a win-win in the end. Even though it doesn't sound like a win for the manager getting their people taken away from them, if they're good managers, they should care about the progression of uh, the people who work for them. Uh, and, and so it's, they should actually be happy. Yeah. And I agree. It's a win for the company. So if you're really thinking yeah. about the company overall and people's growth and retention and having that talent stay within the company and not 
and not go elsewhere because if they're looking for the growth, they're going to get the growth regardless. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, keeping them within the company and having that path, you know, the manager should be hiring, knowing, like telling the person, hey, after you're here for 18 months or a year or whatever, then you can go get a job over there. You know, it should literally be a part of the career pathing. Um, so it 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 grinds my nerves when I hear stuff like, like oh, managers are upset. It's just like, this is ridiculous. Um, Paul says, Brent, uh, Brent, I love it. Who better can secure the business than insiders, which is the truth. Uh, Brent also made a comment about CIS's fee, saying it's not an entry-level search. Yeah. So requiring it for it, anything but mid to senior roles is a mistake. Plus, in theory, you cannot get the CISSP if you're entry-level, right? Like right. there's experience requirements. Um, doesn't stop people from being dumb, though. So <laughs> people just, like will require it for entry-level jobs. They don't know what to do. It, and that, that goes to show that either that leader or whoever is writing that job description, which hopefully is the leader, because I, I get when people say, well, HR writes my, writes my job description. It's like, well, is HR hiring your person? Like, how are you going to just Yeah, well, even if someone happen? else is doing it, I think if you work in a company and you see these roles, even if they're not yours, I think you should go and, and flag it, like explain right. to whoever wrote it that, this CISSP is not, is not an entry level uh, certification, right. right? So, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, you touched on so many different topics that we get so often um, in regards to the certifications. It's always a question, just breaking in, how to break in. So, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of all the advice and your own path, and then sharing with people how to to kind of get behind the scenes even that white it out white out cissb to get through um the ats system it's kind of funny <laughs> because some people i i mean i get it because it's so ridiculous with these ats systems that I, I i know you know i'm in hr so i understand why they were put in place in the first place for compliance purposes and things like that but the rule outs is just ridiculous and to reject you know these automatic rejections yeah, because um, you can get people to learn these and get these, you know, yeah. pretty fast after anyway, right? So why would you reject a good candidate uh, just for that, right. right? Right, absolutely. So we are a minute away from the top of the hour. want to make sure that um, if Chris or Ross, you have any final comments you want to add today, that would be fantastic before we um, wrap up. I would just ask the all-famous question, how would you summarize your journey into one piece of sage advice for someone following in your footsteps? Um, I would just say, uh, don't be afraid to try new things when the old things aren't working out. <laughs> Switch it up. Do not, the, the definition of insanity is trying to say anything over and over again, right? Yep. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. Folks just say, great show all. Brent says that. Um, Scott says, thank you for your time. This is a great hour. So make sure you come back. This was so informative and bringing, you know, having your perspective is always all the different perspectives, which, you know, having yours is very, very, um, valuable today. So we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, folks, you know what to do, Chris, you have someone on, on Friday, right? Tomorrow. I do. I do. Uh, tomorrow we have, uh, Greg from, with you, with me sharing his journey from the military into uh, the private sector and sharing his journey into cybersecurity. Well, that should be good. That would be really good. So folks, 
make sure you connect with and um, watch Chris's Breaking Into Cyber Live tomorrow at 1, right? 1 p.m. Eastern. 1 p.m. Eastern. And then everybody else, see you back here again next Thursday at 1 p.m. for another CISO Thursday. Happy New Year, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.